In two weeks, we begin the biggest series I've ever been part of. It, it's called I Believe, and I promise you it's going to be extraordinary. It'll lead us right up to Easter. Uh, and we'll miss this airplane. But you know, for the last seven weeks, we've been exploring what it would be like to live the life that we were destined to live. And what I wanted you to know from the very first talk is this isn't a talk that I put together. It was a talk that Jesus put together. And that's the reason why I've had such a real sense of peace that I've had the right talk each week because what I've done is just taken a message that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago and we've just excerpted that message because what Jesus came to teach in that message was a different kind of life. He approached a group of people that had been taught rules all their lives and he was saying, but I want you to know what life could be. You've heard that life is like this, but I'm telling you it's like this. You know, it's really important for us to remember something, especially with today's talk. When Jesus came into our world, he wasn't a politician looking for votes. And he wasn't a preacher looking for an audience. He was God coming to tell us what God was like. He was God, God in skin coming to tell us who God really was. I, I'm not trying to be cute with you here today, but if anybody has ever been a victim of identity theft, it would have to be God. Because God has been presented in so many ways in so many different kinds of religions and so many applications, no wonder people wonder who is God really like. And so Jesus came not only as a prophet to tell us who God was like, he came as God in skin to say, I am God, I'm telling you this is who God is, and this is how God thinks and what God is like. So with this, with this message that Jesus brought in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, but basically, it's just Jesus saying, this is what life could be. You understand why, for the last seven weeks, I've had great peace about this, this message, because I'm not preaching my message, I'm preaching Jesus' message. And so, you know, we started off with the first two weeks all about attitude, because if you want your life to be different, it all starts and ends with attitude, you know? Um, attitudes are the filters through which we look at life, and so Jesus is coaching us up, saying, here are eight attitudes we know them as the Beatitudes, but here are eight attitudes that you're going to need. The first four, we said, were just general in nature. These are four attitudes that we need every day of our lives. But then the second group of four attitudes Jesus said that he gave us is pretty much about you know, living in difficult circumstances. And then we talked about the importance of a relationship that's hung up. And, we, and Jonathan taught you a great message that if you have a relationship that's in the weeds, it's real possible that you won't be able to go forward until you... Deal with that. And then we talked about anxiety. And for the last two weeks, as I shared with you, we talked about the thing that could change our lives more than anything else, which is prayer. Because prayer is connecting us with God. And I've just heard enough this weekend here at New Spring already in the first three services to know that a lot of us really need to connect with God about a lot of things. A lot of us are, have a lot of stressors, stressors and problems that are in our lives, and we need to connect with God. Today's talk is different. Have you ever been in a room and somebody said something and what was said created some tension in the room and there was a part of you that said, oh, I wish we could have skipped this, but there was a bigger part of you that said this had to be said. Ever been there? I mean, it's just like something is said and you know it's tense, but you, have, you say to yourself, it had to be said. Well, what Jesus is going to say today fits that category. Like I said a moment ago, he's not a politician looking for voters. 
He's God coming to talk to us. And so he's going to talk to us today about some things that we're going to like maybe have a sharp intake of breath and saying, I, I don't know that I feel comfortable with that. And yet at the same time, I believe if, if any of us were honest with ourselves, we would say, but it's got to be said. Because the most important thing for all of us here today is that we're prepared that whenever this life is over, God, God willing, it'll be a long time for all of us, but whenever this life is over, it's going to be very important that we go someplace that we're going to want to be. And so that's what Jesus is talking to his audience about. Um, I've called today's talk now boarding. I guess it's on my mind because tomorrow morning about 6.30, I'm going to be in my least favorite U.S. airport, DFW. I mean, I'm from Fort Worth, but I hate DFW. I remember when I was a kid and they were building it. You know how Texans brag. They said it was going to be the biggest airport in the world. Well, every, every time I go to DFW, I think land must have been cheap. <laughs> because the place, the airport is spread out all over creation, and it never fails. It's a Murphy's Law kind of thing. Whenever I'm coming in, my connecting flight is always diagonally opposite me on the other side of the airport. I, I just hate flying into DFW, and I don't like it tomorrow. Several times at DFW, I have missed my flight. Just, I didn't make my connection. And the most, <laughs> the most agonizing thing is when I get to my gate and my plane is still there, but they have closed the gate. And I am looking out the window and I see my plane. I see the passengers who were intended to be my fellow passengers. And I'm watching as my plane pulls back from the gate. And what's really painful is when I can see that plane take off in the distance. And I think, there goes my flight. I'm there. I missed my flight. And, but, you know, with American Airlines, three days from now, there will be another plane going out that I, <laughs> that I can take. But there's one flight we can't afford to miss, and that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. And honestly, between you and me, this is, not as, this is not as enjoyable a talk as some of the ones that I've had the privilege of giving to you in this series, because Jesus is now going to get to a very core issue in which he's going to look you and me in the eye, and he's going to share three concerns that he has, because more than anything, Jesus doesn't want you to miss your flight. With his audience, Jesus has three concerns. His first concern is that they're not taking him seriously. His second concern is that he's not talking to the real person. His, his concern is that they have shown up presenting a facade, that he's talking to an actor. And somehow, the people that he's talking to have so many layers of cover that he's not really talking to the real person. He's very concerned about that. And the third thing he's concerned about is that his audience hasn't made a commitment. And so with that in mind, I want to show you three pieces of Scripture from Matthew chapter 7, which is the end of Jesus' sermon. I want to show you three parts of the message where Jesus shares his three concerns with his audience. That A, they might not be really paying attention to him. B, he may not have gotten through to the real person. And then finally, Jesus is concerned that his audience hasn't connected there's a scripture in the Old Testament, and this scripture was written four or 500 years before Jesus came. But I think it was the scripture that was on Jesus' mind. There was a prophet named Ezekiel, and God had given him a message for Israel. And Ezekiel was evidently a great communicator, and he was a charismatic communicator. 
But the people weren't listening to him. And here's what God said to Ezekiel. Now, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the scripture because I think this verse, these verses were on Jesus' mind. God said to Ezekiel, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you in the doors. And they say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come, pretending to be sincere, and they sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. You're very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. Of course, God was prophesying judgment for Israel. But when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So that's what Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned that his audience is enjoying his message. That he is entertaining, he's charismatic, he's magnetic. I'm sure listening to Jesus was a trip. And, and, and he knew that. He knew that there were people out there that were enjoying what he had to say. They were, they were syncing up with the message. Uh, but not really, not really so much so that it was changing their lives. And so his first concern he lays out for them is that they might be listening to him, but not really taking him seriously. Well, as I shared with you, we're going to look at three clips from the end of Jesus' message. The first clip that we're going to look at is a story that Jesus tells, or maybe it's kind of an illustration. He says there were two builders, and both of them were building a house. Maybe they were building side by side. Maybe they're building in the same subdivision. I don't know. But they built houses, and I'm going to assume from Jesus' language that the houses look pretty similar to each other. If you looked at the two houses from street level, you might not have been able to tell that there was any difference between one or the other. But according to Jesus, the builders did very, something very different in the building process. One guy put in a big foundation. In fact, I, I would assume that the, the, surface, the surface soil was sand. But the first builder decided that he was not going to stop. In fact, Dr. Luke gives us two words. Dr. Luke says in his version of this, he dug deep. In other words, he went down through the various soils, and he didn't stop until he got to bedrock. And he laid a foundation on solid rock. Well, the builder just built a house. He just threw it up, put up the house on sand. Now, if you get into the spirit of Jesus' story, what he's really, as I said a few moments ago, Jesus is suggesting that in good weather, both houses look the same. But one night a storm came, the kind of storms that we have here in Kansas. And when that storm got through and the rain quit beating and the wind quit blowing and, and all the hail quit falling, the next morning the houses looked very different because the house that had been built on a foundation looked like it always looked. And the house that had been built on the sand was a pile of matchsticks. Now listen to what Jesus had to say about the meaning behind his little story. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rain and floods come and winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, I want to go back to verse 26 again. He said, anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it. 
Now, I grew up in church, and I heard my dad, other preachers, speak on this many times. I'm going to tell you, my mind translated this in the wrong way. I sort of got the idea that people outside of God and faith were like people who built on the sand. And people inside the church who listened to God's word, they were like people who built on the rock. But that wasn't at all what Jesus said. This is not religious versus unreligious. This is not people who go to church versus people who don't go to church. All of these people went to church. All of these people listened to sermons. Jesus said, look, one of these people listens to the word of God and he or she puts it into practice. When they hear the teachings of Jesus, whatever that teaching is, it becomes the arbiter of the decision. They listen to the talk, but it's not just something that goes into their ears and becomes part of their religious repertoire. Jesus said it actually begins to affect the way they live. On the other hand, Jesus said there is a guy or a gal who listens to a message. They may enjoy it. I mean, who knows? They, they may listen to Christian music. They may, go, they may go to Bible studies. They may put, you know, Christian bumper stickers on their car, and all those things are fine. I'm not, not ripping any of that stuff. It's all good. But the problem is Jesus is saying, although they listen, they don't take it seriously. He's concerned about that. He's concerned about that with his audience. I think he's concerned about it at New Spring. You know, he's, he's, he's not concerned just that we hear a message, you know, because I think sometimes we go, we say, well, I like going to New Spring. I like the music, and I can put up with listening to Mark, and, and you know, I like, the, I like this, and I like that. Well, that's great, but here's the question. It's not, did you listen to the message, and did you enjoy it, but did, did, it, did it get into the groundwater of your life? And the reason why I ask that question is Jesus' inference here, because this is really, really strong to me. Jesus points out two things that stand out. Number one, the storm came to both builders. Could I, I mean, a storm is just any kind of cataclysmic event. It's any kind of catastrophe that happens in our life. See, here's the thing. If you really don't put Jesus' teaching into practice in your life and you're just having a normal day, you can probably get by with that. But there will be days that are going to test what you really believe. When you sit down with the doctor and the doctor says, it's cancer. Or someday when you answer the doorbell and it's a police officer and a police chaplain. Those are the kind of days that just hearing a message is not enough. And Jesus is saying, look, and here's the thing. Storms come to everybody. I mean, here's the deal. You, you could love Jesus very much and follow him with all your heart, and he is your Lord and your Savior, and every day you, you talk to him. Time. Even though you love him very much and he loves you very much, storms are still coming. On the other hand, you could be somebody that you're just a nominal Christian, but the storm is coming to your life. You could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm a non-theist. I don't even believe in God. Storm's still coming. Storms are going to come to all of us. I mean, here's the thing. Same storm hit the whole neighborhood, hit both houses. And the second thing that stands out to me that Jesus hinted at here, and I don't even know what to do with it. I'm just going to leave it with you, and you can do with it whatever you want to. I'm not sure how to preach this. Do you realize that at some point both builders thought the other builder was crazy? I mean, first off, the guy who built on the sand, he was watching his next-door neighbor put all that money and energy into stuff that nobody's going to see. 
And I mean, I'm sure he was saying, are you kidding me? You're spending all this money digging, digging, digging? What are you, what are you digging, doing all that digging for? Man, I've been able to put a home theater system in my house. You know, I've been able to put in, you know, a swimming pool. His whole house was a swimming pool when it was over. So I'm sure the guy that was building the foundation looked crazy to the other builder. But on the other hand, don't you know the guy who just threw up the house on the sand looked crazy to the guy who was building the foundation? It's just strange, isn't it? And Jesus is going to talk about this in this whole message. There's a choice out there on how you're going to live your life. Well, the first concern that Jesus had was that they weren't taking him seriously. But he had a second concern. His second concern was that he might not be talking to the real person. He, he knew that people who showed up to listen to him, some of them who nodded and smiled and maybe took notes, he, he, Jesus knew that it was possible, especially for people who have a, a background in some sort of faith-based system, he knew it was possible for people to learn the jargon, to learn what it was. They learned to look the part. And so over and over, Jesus is going to talk about this. In this sermon, we call the Sermon on the Mount, he will say, don't give your money in order to be seen. He will say, don't pray in order to be seen. He will say, don't fast or go without food. You know, back in that day, some of the people, when they were fasting, they would chalk their faces up and look really sad. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do what you do to be seen. Why? Because somebody who is seeming to serve God only to be seen of other people, you're not dealing with the real person there. He'll use a word at least four times. And that's the word hypocrite. Now, to us, that's a pejorative. But you got to realize that when Jesus used the word, it just meant actor. So that's all he was saying. He was saying, look, am I, am I talking to you or am I talking to an actor? He was concerned about that. You know, this is my fourth time to bring this message, and every time I bring this message, I'm impressed by what a big thing this is. I really wonder, have you ever really got a look at who you really are? See, most of us don't get a look at who we really are until we hit one of those storms. How many of us, we've been so many people to so many people, we don't even know who we are anymore. Jesus, he's concerned about that. But not just concerned about the fact that we might live our lives being an actor instead of being who we really were designed to be. That would be a challenge enough. But Jesus is concerned that maybe we would live our lives so much as an actor, we would get all the way up to the time that we stand before God and still be playing a, a role instead of being who we really are. I want you to read with me what Jesus has to say in Matthew 7, 21. And, and guys, this has got to be the most chilling scripture in the Bible. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. And by the way, John 6, 40 tells us what doing the will of the Father is. It means to put confidence in Jesus, to believe on Jesus. Many on judgment day will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, that means communicated your word. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. Here are the most chilling words in the Bible. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. What chills me about that is Jesus saying, get away from me. 
Because every time I look at him in the Bible, he's always telling people to come. But this is different. These are people who have like worn the mask so long that they actually get to heaven and they're standing before Jesus and Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't see your name here in the book of life. I, I don't see any record here of you ever having a relationship with me. But these people argue with him and they say, well, Lord, didn't we, weren't we members of New Spring? Lord, didn't we volunteer? Lord, didn't we, didn't we teach a class? Lord, didn't we go to a Bible study? Didn't we listen to Christian radio? Lord, Lord, I had all these things that made me look like a Christian. And Jesus is saying, I'm sorry. I don't know you. I don't know you. There was a mask all that time. You know what I find interesting? There's nobody there who says, Lord, didn't I, didn't I trust you? You, you know, Lord, what, what, remember that time when I knew I was a sinner and I knew I, I was hopeless? Don't you remember when I called it? Do you notice that there's nobody who says that? Because see, the thing of it is, when you're willing to be, when you're willing to be who you are with who God is, God changes who you are. When you're willing to be open and honest before God, see, here's the thing: God can do business with bankrupt sinners. What He can't do business with is a religious person who wants to show God her resume or His resume. And Jesus is concerned. I don't know how to say this, and it's not a big issue at New Spring, so. Who knows, maybe I'm wasting our time today. But it could be that somebody's watching on television or watching online. Or it may even be that someone's here. How many of us grew up in so-called Christianity, but the brand of Christianity that we grew up in was almost, I hate to use this word, but cultic? Because everybody was supposed to look a particular way. And if you were a member of this church, you, certain things that you did or didn't do. And, you know, there, there was a jargon that went with being a member that everybody on the inside understand, understood. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, it, it wasn't so big that you really did the important things. What was really big is that you didn't break one of the little ticky-tack rules of that church. Any, anybody else grow up in a, in a ministry like that or church like that? Here's what I discovered about that a long time ago. You know what? It's real easy to dress a particular way. It's real easy to use a particular jargon. It's real easy to listen to a particular kind of music and everything that goes with a sort of cultic system of worship. What's really hard is loving your enemy. What's really hard is forgiving the people who've hurt you. What's really hard is humbling myself and putting God first. Those are the things that really, that's what it really means to follow Christ. But in cultic religion, those things always take a back seat. And Jesus is just rolling the ball right down the lane and knocking down all the pins and saying, here, let's not worry about cultic religion. The question is, have I ever really gotten through to the real person? Jesus is saying, do I really know you? final thing Jesus is worried about, and the most important thing, he's worried about is everybody on board. I mean, here is a, I don't know how big the audience was, but there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people there that day. There were hundreds, thousands of people here. I look out on this great crowd, 
And I, I think Jesus, if he were here today, he would wonder the same thing that he wondered on this day when he brought this talk, and that is, is everybody here on board? Is everybody here going to make your flight? I mean, hopefully, you've got years to live, but whenever that day comes, it could be today for some of us. It was last night for one of our Supreme Court justices. But whenever that time comes, are you going to make your flight? If I miss my flight tomorrow to Mexico, it won't be the end of the world. But if I miss my flight to heaven, that will be the end of the world. Jesus wants to know, are you on board? Now, there's a myth. And I've got to deal with it. It's really important. This is going to be the most important thing I'm going to say all day. Out there in the culture, there is a myth about God. And this myth makes people angry about God. And isn't it a shame, because I understand why people are angry when they hear this myth, isn't it a shame that people believe it because it's a myth? The myth goes like this. That when you die and you go to heaven and you stand before God, God is going to judge you. He's going to judge your life. And if you've been good enough to get into heaven, he's going to let you in. And if you haven't been good enough to go to heaven, you're going to hell. People get very angry when they hear that. And you know what? I understand. Do you know what? If that were true, I think I would be angry. You know what would make me angry? How would I know what the cut point is? I mean, I would be going to the most important moment of my existence. I would be going to the moment that's going to make the difference between do I go to heaven or hell? And I don't even know, I don't even know what, what makes the grade. Is it 50%? Do I have to have 50% good? Or is it 75%? Maybe it's like an A. Maybe you've got to have 93%. I mean, wouldn't it be something to go all the way to heaven, stand before God, God looks at your life and says, okay, Mark, we're going to go over all the years that you've lived, over every day of your life, and we're going to look at all your thoughts and everything you've ever said, and we're going to look at everything you've ever done, and if you, if you make the cut point, you're in heaven, otherwise you're going to hell. I'll be honest with you. That would make me angry. I understand why people who hear that would walk away and say, I don't want anything to do with a God like that, which would be cataclysmic because I always remember that we have to deal with God. God doesn't have to deal with us. Jesus is going to make this so clear. And if you've ever thought that that's what's going to happen, listen to Jesus as he makes it clear. This is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult. Only a few ever find it. By the way, notice that Jesus didn't say only a few can hack it. He just said only a few find it. Now, let's talk words. First word is road. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying there is a road to heaven and there is a road to hell. His point is, if you wind up in heaven, it's not because you were better than anybody else. 
you're on the road that led to heaven. Heaven is the destination at the end of that road. If you wind up in hell, it's not because God hates you or you're worse than anybody else. You're on the road that led there. You know, here's the thing. If I want to go to Kansas City, there's a road that leads there. And if I'm on the road that leads to Kansas City, I'm not surprised when I see Kansas City in the distance because I was on the road that led there. If I want to go to San Antonio, I know there's a road that leads there. If I want to go to Kansas City and the signs for San Antonio and Corpus are coming up, then I realize I'm not going to Kansas City unless I get off that road, come under 35, and get back on it going the other way. That's all Jesus is saying is, look, there's a road that goes to heaven. You don't wind up there by accident. You don't wind up in heaven by happenstance. There's a road that leads there. And there's a road that leads to hell. And people don't wind up in hell by happenstance. They wind up because they were on the road that led there. Jesus says the road to heaven is narrow, and the road to hell is broad. We'll talk about that in just a bit. The second word that comes to mind is gates, because Jesus said the entry point to the road is a gate. There's a gate on the road to heaven, and there's a gate on the road to hell. And just like the road, the gate on the road to heaven is narrow, and the gate on the road to hell is broad. What's he mean by that? Simply this. God made a way. God made a road for you to go to heaven. And that road isn't a religion. That road's not even a lifestyle. That road is a person. That road is Jesus Christ. For broken sinners who will be honest with who they are in God God says, I have made a road for you to go, and the gate, in fact, Jesus would say about that road in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 10, he would say, I am the gate. So the reason it's narrow is not that it's necessarily difficult. The reason it's narrow is that it's Jesus. And the reason why the other road is broad is because it's everything else. Like I said, that's a challenge for postmodern America because postmodern America wants to think that there are lots of roads. But have you ever thought about how many times in the Bible it's a choice between two things? I mean, Cain and Abel, um, Jehovah and Baal on top of Mount Carmel, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, the two thieves on the cross. It's not a multiple choice. See, here's the thing. Somebody could be listening to me here today and you say, Mark, I just don't think that your viewpoint is very cosmopolitan. I don't think it's very informed. The idea that Jesus is the way to heaven, I struggle with that because I think there are many ways to heaven. Well, let me ask you a question as an old debater would ask. What would be the bases for your entree to heaven on these other roads? See, if you ask me, how I know that Jesus is the way to heaven, I can give you the basis for that. The Bible tells me the story that Jesus came into our world, God and human at the same time, that he lived the life that I cannot live. And after running the table for 33 years, he laid that life down on a cross and he bled and died as a sacrifice to pay for my sins. And that when God looked at him, he, he 
recognize that Jesus had paid for my sins, and the Bible tells me that if I am willing to call on Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, that his work for me on the cross becomes effective. And the fact that he walked out of his grave under three days under his own, after three days after, under his own power signifies that he is everything that he says he was. And as the living son of God, I have called on him to be my Lord and Savior. Now, when, if you want to talk about Jesus, I know the basis for why I'm going to heaven. Would anyone please give me any other basis why any other way is an actual legitimate basis for going to heaven? I don't know. Jesus said, look, I, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. <laughs> I have a good friend. I remember when he first came to New Spring, he was an agnostic. And another person uh, who was a judge here in Sedgwick County told me that this guy was the best trial lawyer in the city. And the reason why that was salient to me is this guy, his, his wife had called and said, would you talk to my husband? He's an agnostic. And he's an attorney, and he wants to talk to you about the Bible. And after I heard he was the best lawyer in the city, I thought, oh, my goodness, he's going to ask me all these challenging questions. But he didn't. He was very kind. He'd been coming for several months by that point, and he loved our church, and he loved me. He said, you know, when I first came here, I didn't believe a word you said, but he said, I love listening to you talk. He said, you don't give sermons. You give closing arguments. He said, I'd sit up there and I'd take notes and think, I could use that in a trial. <laughs> but he said, I now believe in God, I believe in the Bible, and I believe in Jesus Christ. But he said, you know, the one thing I just can never accept, I can't accept that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So I said, well, great. You know, we'll, we'll just keep talking. I remember I always keep one of these Bibles, and I give them away a lot of times. And so I just said, here, I want, I want to give you my Bible. Oh, no, I don't want to take your Bible. I said, yeah, I want to give you my Bible. There's a book in here that's written by a lawyer. It's called Romans. I want you to read it and call me when you read it, and we'll go to lunch. So the next week he called me. He said, I've read it three times. When do we go to lunch? And that started a bunch of lunches. You know, we, we would go to lunch, but, and we would talk. And, and the more he read, the more he got excited about it. But he, he would always say to me, I'm sorry, Mark. I just don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's great. I still remember the restaurant where we were. One day we were eating lunch, and I said, let me ask you a question. You're a lawyer. Work on this. Suppose you're in a burning building on the fourth floor, and at the risk of life and limb, the fire department puts a ladder to one of the windows on the fourth floor that everybody on the fourth floor has access to. I said, is the fire department evil because they don't put a ladder at every window? I don't know why, but it clicked for him. There's an understanding that if God has made a way for any of us to go to heaven, and everybody has access to that way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's concerned. Have you made a call on that? You, you could walk right up to that and say, I don't think I'm going to make a call. I just really don't think I want to accept Jesus. That's your call. It's your position. You own that. All I'm saying is, I have walked up to Jesus, and I have said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I've made the call. I'm chosen. Lord, I'm taking you seriously. You're talking to the real Mark, and beyond that, I've made my call. I've got my reservation. When the time comes for my flight, I'm not going to miss my flight, not because I'm anything special. I'm a train wreck, but because I've chosen Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Have you done that? You say, well, Mark, I'm not really sure how to do it. 
Well, as we close this talk, I want to pray a prayer. And this, these aren't magic words, but if you want to join me in this prayer, this is just a prayer that chooses Jesus. And I would invite you to join me. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, I believe you love me. And I believe in Jesus. I believe he died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose in the grave. I still have a lot of questions. But I choose to believe. Thank you for forgiving me and for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know we're in overtime here, but I have a gift I want to give you if you just pray with me. Because you could, like I said in the prayer, you could say, Mark, I still have a lot of questions. I still have questions. But I have a gift I want to give you. It's got a DVD in it, a packet, a book that I also wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. You can get this either in the guest services out in the lobby, right out in the middle there, or one back by the coffee shop. All you got to do is say, I prayed with Mark, and they'll give this to you. We'll see you next weekend. God bless.